This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. And we have lots more to talk about. So stick around until 4 p.m. Eastern. And after that, we uh, are on again at 10 p.m. Eastern time on both AMI-TV and AMI-audio. So you can check us out on the repeat. Well, this is one of our favorite times of the day. Uh, It's time for our food segment with Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Concession. And today we're going to talk with Mary about to up your kitchen game with a few must-use tips. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamaliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Hello, Mary. How are you? I am fantastic now that we are here talking food. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't tell you how we look forward to this. And I, I said to Ramya, you know, the trouble with this is that I always leave hungry, no matter mm-hmm. how much I've eaten before Mary's segment, <laughs> I'm always hungry afterwards. So I'm delighted, Mary, that you're joining us. So from boiling water. I can to... relate. I can relate. Yes, I'm always it is a consensus. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're going to talk with us about tips from boiling water to caramelizing tomato paste uh where do you would want to begin today okay so let's start with the first one boiling water seems easy right okay but sometimes <laughs> it is difficult it's difficult one to determine when the water it started boiling so what i want you to do is add a metal disc or a glass disc to the pot these are great because oh. you can find them on amazon They have them in many places, but online Amazon, and they deliver really quickly. You place them in the pot, fill it with water, place it on the burner, boil it. When the pot starts boiling, you're going to hear that little disc rattling, and that'll Uh let you know your water's boiling. But like like we talked about right at the top, we're going to take things a little further. And so when you want to heat up water, right, automatically, the first thing is to, you want to do it really quickly, you put the burner on high. That's not the only way to do it. So what I want you to do is take things again, a little step further, cover the pot. And the reason why I want you to cover that pot of water, because trapping the heat in the pot, it cuts down on the time needed to bring that water to a boil. So next time you're making pasta, steaming vegetables, heating up soup, give that a try, put a lid on it, let it come to a boil. You'll notice it a little quicker. Uh, Are we still keeping the stove on high I call it sky high, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I usually do because I'm very impatient. Yeah, same. Um, okay. Me do too. It, oh, do it to like your comfort now. level. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like boil, boil. Um, yes. <laughs> so yeah, so just do it to whatever comfort level you're at. But definitely right. by putting the lid on it, you will definitely notice a difference in the speed in which that, that water boils or that liquid or whatever's in the pot boils. Okay. Well, it certainly beats uh, sticking your finger in to find out if it's oh, hot. I've done hot. that too. That's, yeah. But, uh, Exa- don't you really recommend it. Don't <laughs> yeah, recommend no, it. I, I, some more do not do what Ramya did. Do not learn from me. Don't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't run the cooking segments. Okay. Well, what else? <laughs> We're going to talk about 
again, heat related, and we're going to preheat the pan. This can also be a little tricky. So there are a couple mm -hmm. of ways you can do it. One of the ways that I find this really easy for me is I just put my hand over top that pan. You want to keep it several inches away from mm -hmm. that pan, directly over oh, yes. top, <laughs> turn the heat on. And then once you can, you know, you feel that heat, it's probably the optimal temperature that you want it. You don't want to keep it there too long. Um, I mean, unless you want the hairs on your arm singed, but <laughs> just keep them, kind of pull it away. But the other way would be to add a couple of drops of pot of water to the pot. And what I normally do is I'll just literally wet my hand, walk over to the pan, and then just sprinkle some water directly onto the pan. If you hear that immediate sizzle, your pan's ready. Or if you don't listen for it, you want to look for it, look for a bead of water maybe that rolls around the pan. So either or work beautifully. I always, I, I always use the sizzle method first. And this is like yeah. before you put the oil in or any of that stuff, the fat. Before thing you put oil. anything okay. in, just I was a gonna heated say, pan. Yeah, if you have fat in there and then you add the water, yeah. you better stand back a little bit, right? Yeah, no, you don't want to be doing that. But definitely, no. I always do it with a dry pan. Mm -hmm. And this way, I know it's warm enough. I can get everything else added in safely. And you've, I think, given us this tip before, Mary, a similar tip where if you want to check that your oil's hot enough uh, and you want to saute things in there, just put like one piece of onion or whatever in there to make sure yes. that you hear it, hear it sizzling. That's it. You just a add bunch. a little piece of onion in uh, before anything or even maybe, you know, whatever you're cooking up, just kind of dip it in. If you hear that little sizzle, that little bubble, yep. you know, it's ready to go. Cool. That's great. Next. I love it. I Cooking by ear, it's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's I absolutely love it. That, that's how I cook. That's how we we all should kind of use every single sense yes. in the kitchen. Okay. Completely. Keep, right? And then I want to talk about knives because this is important, keeping your knives sharp. Again, it can be scary, but we want to keep them sharp for many reasons. So one, to keep it sharp, after you're chopping food, you want to use the dull end of the knife that dull end where the opposite side of the blade to actually pick up the ingredients that you've chopped up on your cutting board and then transferring them into whatever container you want. Reason being is because by doing this, you're not dragging that blade and scraping it ah. over the cutting board to dull it, mm -hmm. right? So what I recommend again, just flip it over, use the opposite side of the sharpened blade and then scrape the cutting board. That, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And I, I say this because you always want a sharp knife. Mm -hmm. Having a dull knife is actually very dangerous because yes. you don't want it to slip when chopping or slicing. So it keeps it in place and it actually connects with the food that you want to chop. I, I feel knives. a little bit nervous about this one, Mary. I feel like we have to practice slowly, you know, very slowly, because as you're flipping, you know, you might be in a momentum of cutting and usually just scoop it up and put it over, right? So if you're flipping right. the knife to be careful with what you're doing with your other hand. Yeah, exactly. So I would always, what I recommend is take your knife, if you're right-handed, pull it away from you, turn it. So keep on hanging on to that handle of the knife, mm -hmm. turn it. So the dull side is facing you and then you can scrape it. This way you always know what direction that blade is in. Yeah. Without having yeah, to run your finger along the blade. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. Just get a bench scraper. That's it. Yeah, yeah, use something yeah. else to scrape. True. That's something made yeah, of we just plastic. Don't, <laughs> I think with this one, it's just don't drag that knife along the cutting board constantly because it will dull your blade. Yes. Yep. And yep. so many of us are so used to that. Yeah. Yep. Seasoning. Seasoning food to taste. 
Yes. This one is key. Um, and I want to talk about, so salt and pepper, again, it sounds so simple, but it has to be added to a dish. And then I don't want you to oversalt it. So the reason why I say this, you can add salt. You can't take it away. So right. I want you to Who taste wants to take it away as, salt. Delicious. Right? <laughs> Rami, the more salt, salt the addiction a little bit, a little. <laughs> okay, okay. So then you'll be able to tell when it's bland or it lacks flavor. So you add your salt, taste it. If it tastes a little bland, add, you know, lacks a little flavor, season it some more and then taste again. I want you to taste as you go along. That's key. Again, using another sense. Um, tasting it once really doesn't always work because mm. it really does take a seasoned hand to know the exact amount of salt to add to a dish. Mm. So that's what I recommend tasting as you go. And then this is the other thing. Ever wonder why maybe like the pros sprinkle the salt from high above the dish? I would say maybe yeah. about 12 inches above the dish. Mm. It's to coat. It's to allow an even coating of the salt. So you don't get that gathering and oh. concentrating into one area of the dish. Right. Makes sense. Now, is yeah. this right, so keep on tasting. when we're cooking, like even stovetop uh, professionals toss in salt from a distance? Yes. I think oh, they do. Yeah. Again, it's okay. that it's that even coat. And that's all it is. It's just, it sprinkles mm -hmm. more evenly around the dish and it doesn't concentrate it in one area. Now, is there really nothing you can do? I've heard uh, people say, oh, add a potato if something, something is else to salty, soak up the salt, yeah, or something to soak up the salt, but does that actually work? I mean, you can do a lot of those TikTok hacks, but <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, once it's over salted, it's, it's probably hard. done. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to really. I mean, if you add the potato, yes, you'll, you'll it'll have it'll absorb a little bit of the salt, but it'll always remain that saltiness. So that's why. Yeah. Little goes a long way. Keep on going. And then I always like to undersalt slightly. This is just me. Because this way, if you want to add more while you yes. eat, everyone has that option to add to their liking. Yes. It's hard to hear that as a sh person who grew up eating Sri Lankan food. Our salt goes <laughs> up first. <laughs> well, you know, my, my mother-in-law was famous in, in our family for salting everything all the time. She'd never taste the food she was served. She'd just pick up the salt shaker and, <laughs> you know, put it. And I used to think, how does she know what it tastes like before she yeah. adds the salt? Yeah. But that was her way of doing it. And she yep. seemed to be happy about it. Yeah. And that's the seasoned hand. That's right. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Mary, the over seasoned hand. Right. <laughs> Mary, we're not going to get to everything, but I'm wondering if we can skip down to tomato paste before we go. Okay. So tomato paste. Um, what I want you to do with this is you don't want to use it directly out of the container or the jar, right? Because the minute you do that, a dollop of that, of the store-bought tomato paste, it goes a little, it, it tastes a little too maybe sour, bitter. It's got that tart flavoring mm. and you don't want that in your dish. So then the secret, what I want you to do is put the tomato paste in, but you want to caramelize it. So before you do this, before you add any liquid, saute some onions, carrots, whatever ingredients are in your base, add the garlic, Cook those up. Now you want to get them slightly soft. Don't want to fully cook them because once you add the tomato paste, it'll definitely cook down a little more. So add your spices, get those essential oils all released and fragrant. Add your tomato paste and then continue cooking until it's fully melded into the, the ingredients. So what I want you to do is with your spoon, 
stirred around. When you first put that tomato paste in, you'll feel that lump that kind of lumps up with the ingredients. As you cook it, it melts in. And as you're stirring, that lump goes away. And that pressure Thank and the tension up against your spoon. This this is away. so helpful. And I really wish we could go on and on and on because, you know, it, it just, it, it, it satisfies everybody to hear you talking about what you're doing. But uh, we will, we will be back. Thank you. And um, check out Mary's discussions and recipes on kitchenconfession.com and find the Kitchen Confession podcast on your favorite podcast platform. That's always so exciting to hear from Mary. Thank it you. It is. And she's very busy because a new dish with Mary season is coming out March 16th. But we will talk to her before then, so she'll tell us more about that season. After the break, we have exciting March break activities for you at the Ontario Science Centre. Find out more about that on Kelly and Romia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. There's a podcast for everybody given to you by AMI-audio. You know, something for somebody out there wanting to learn about something or another. Uh, we have The Pulse, which dropped today. We had The Neutral Zone, which usually drops Tuesdays. But they have a fresh new episode that dropped yesterday. We had Eyes on Your Money with Becky Armstrong and Ryan Chin. AMI Audiobook Review this weekend dropping on Saturday with myself and Nisreen. There's just a lot to learn when you go into digging into the um, podcasts provided by AMI-audio. So check that out. But right now, you're tuned into Kelly and Ramia. I'm Ramia Amathan with Danielle McLaughlin. Ramia, I'm really happy that we will be speaking with a new guest today. It's going to be an exciting March break at the Ontario Science Centre and always lots to see and learn and do. And today we have Victoria G who is a researcher programmer at the Ontario Science Centre, here to tell us more. Hello, Victoria. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, it's lovely to have you here. I've, uh, the Science Centre is a favourite place for so many people, and March break, I happen to uh, recall, is it's particularly packed with all those fans. Um, what's going to happen this year at the Science Centre over spring break? Yes, there is so much to see and do at the Ontario Science Centre this March break. We're open every day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and have a lot of amazing programs and exhibitions to check out. Along with our permanent fun-filled exhibit halls, we also have Indigenous Ingenuity and Regalia, which are our visiting exhibitions. On top of all of that, we also have special Indigenous-led programming, such as Visions of Turtle Island and Métis Bingo, all week long for visitors to enjoy, and a presentation about satellites from York University. And of course, a visit to the Ontario Science Centre wouldn't be complete without stopping by our hair-raising experience, also on offer all March break. Oh, that is intriguing. Oh, I'm so excited. We talked about the um, Indigenous Ingenuity and Regalia exhibit a while back on Kelly and Company, and it was so fascinating. But let's talk about some of these and break it down. Tell us about Visions of Turtle Island. Absolutely. So Visions of Turtle Island is a performance presented by Tribal Vision Dance. 
This show highlights the importance of dance and what it means to Indigenous peoples. In this performance, you'll learn about and hear from the creation stories and different styles of dance used in powwows. In this show, you'll also be delighted by different traditional dances, such as the jingle dress dance and the alligator oh. dance. And you'll have the opportunity to, you know, feel the beat and dance in your seat along with our dancers. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I bet you'll have lots of kids up dancing all over the floor. It sounds wonderful. Now, <laughs> I'm I'm intrigued by Métis Bingo. What, what is Métis Bingo? Yeah, Métis Bingo. Unlike your traditional bingo, this takes it to another level. So Métis Bingo is presented by Luann Cunningham with support from the Métis Nation of Ontario. In this program, visitors will learn about the traditions and culture of Métis people through a fun game of bingo. However, instead of using numbers, we'll be using images of items and people that have cultural significance and meaning in the Métis culture. You can play multiple games with your bingo card, and the card comes uh, with free or your admission to the Science Centre. However, space is limited, so you'll want to make sure to get to this program early. Oh, and don't let me forget to mention that there are prizes with this bingo game. Oh, I was game. hoping for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Those are provided to us by the Métis Nation of Ontario. Bingo is personally one of my favorite games, so you'll definitely be able to find me there all week long. <laughs> Do we know, have any ideas of what some of the prizes might be? Just curious. Oh, no, those are surprises. Oh, yeah. Man. You'll have to Surprise come find out. <laughs> yeah. We will have to come out. I mean, I'm sure, especially for kids, there will be a lot of questions and a lot of opportunities to learn um, from those questions during bingo. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to explain every image as it comes up on our bingo card. It's going to be really educational and really, really fun. Fantastic. And it sounds really descriptive, descriptive as well for uh, anyone who may need that access Tell us about Space, Satellites, and Me, please. Absolutely. So Space, Satellites, and Me is brought to us by students from York University. This is an interactive presentation where visitors will learn about Canadian contributions to space and satellites. Scientists and students need to consider space situational awareness when sending satellites up into the sky, up into space. And this is, you know, space junk, overcrowding of objects up there. So this presentation will go over all those details and share solutions that are being currently looked at. Plus, you can be part of a real satellite mission and send a message into space, sort of like a message in a bottle. Mm. Only it goes a little farther, I would assume. <laughs> a lot farther, yes. <laughs> yes, I was thinking about the, the satellites. I, I don't suppose those would include balloons that get shot down <laughs> oh, no. time to time. Not those types of balloons, but you Not those would kinds. be surprised of how they get up there. It's really fascinating. I'm sure it is. That's wonderful. Now, if guests can make it March 4th or 5th, can you tell us about the special TP workshop? Yes, so even before March break begins, we have fun Indigenous-led programming for you and all our visitors. So coming up on March 4th and 5th at the Ontario Science Centre, we have a special TP workshop. 
So the wonderful team from the Toronto Council Fire Native Cultural Center are going to build a real live teepee inside of the Science Center. How cool is that? So Amazing. in this workshop, visitors will learn about the meaning of teepee poles, the science involved in the structure and its cultural significance. Plus, you get to create your own mini teepee while learning about its history, the techniques used to build it, and the meaning behind each part. This program, in addition to all the other special programming happening throughout March, uh, are free with admission to the building. Okay. That's uh, one thing I love about the Science Center. You walk in and sometimes you're not even sure what's available, but something is always new and fresh and exciting along with everything, like you said, the permanent exhibits that are there. Can you talk about, just give us a quick description of the um, Indigenous Ingenuity uh, exhibit, as well as, I can't remember the name of the other one that you have at the moment. Yeah. So Indigenous Ingenuity is brought to us by our friends at the Montreal Science Centre. So in this exhibition, you can race in a virtual canoe, test your skills in archery, and use teamwork to build an igloo. It's a very interactive using all senses and abilities to learn about Indigenous cultures and ways of knowing. And then Regalia mm -hmm. is another ex exhibition we have. It is a stunning photography exhibition featuring portraits and personal stories of children, women, and men from 14 different nations uh, or First Nations communities across Canada. And this exhibition is also paired with stunning music from powwows. That's wonderful. So I... I are examples of the actual regalia there as well, or, or it, it's largely a photographic exhibit? Largely photographic. However, for the Tribal Visions Dance or Visions of Turtle Island performance happening over March break, those performers will be dressed in their regalia. Okay. Oh, that's lovely. Anything hands-on or tactile, you've mentioned some just through this conversation, uh, but specifically that you could point at that stands out or that would make a difference for um, people in the disability community coming out. Absolutely. So all of our permanent ex exhibits are designed for visitors to create, discover, learn, really to explore science with all their senses and abilities. For example, my favorite place in the whole Science Center is our rainforest Me inside too. our Living Earth exhibit hall. <laughs> I know, it's so cool. It is that and it's warm. Go inside <laughs> the rainforest. Exactly. And you can feel the humidity. You can smell the difference. You can feel the rain. And while you're there, you can try to spot and listen for any of our Science Center critters in there. So that is definitely my my favorite place to be because of the full body experience i've been in there when i got rained on i quite enjoyed that actually yeah. it's very refreshing oh, especially really like on like being... a summer day yes. yeah it was like it was like being in a real rainforest. now yeah. where can visitors learn more yeah, so to learn more about our offerings and see specific presentation times, especially throughout March break, you can visit our website, ontariosciencecenter.ca. 
March break, as you mentioned before, is definitely one of our most busiest times at the Science Center, but it's also one of our most fun times. So definitely head on over to our website. There you can also purchase tickets in advance and see tips for your visit. Victoria, now, do we do you know how many people come out during the March break? Like, well, just alone on family day this past week, we had just over 6,000 visitors. Ooh. So if that gives Holy you any indication about March break, <laughs> probably around the same per day. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's, yeah, that's really something. And that's each day of March break as mm. well. So oh that's, yeah, each yeah. day. Bring your nice running shoes if you're walking around. <laughs> Good, good plan. Now, I are the restaurants still available so that the 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 the, the adults can take a little break when the little ones tire them out too much. Yes, we do have our restaurant, our cafeteria, and various food stations throughout the whole building, so you can pick up a snack wherever you're at. That's very important. I I think that's uh, <laughs> yes. Now, I have to ask you this, Victoria. What's your favorite? thing that's happening in in the science center right now is there an exhibition that really makes you feel happy to work there oh honestly it's all our indigenous-led programming it's so exciting to work with our our indigenous partners from different communities and nations and have them here with us I can't tell you how excited I am to see on March 4th and 5th this TP that's going to be erected inside the Science Center. I will be front row and center <laughs> to see that being made. I am so excited. <laughs> now, do you know how large is that going to be? Will it be big enough for more than one person to stand in or do, or do you know yet? Oh, absolutely. A bunch of people can can definitely fit in there. And we'll have the presenters explain, you know, what happens inside the teepees as well. They have to be big enough to fit multiple people. So it's definitely going to be something to, to see and be around. Oh, great. So a whole family might be able to have the experience of being inside a teepee once it's built. That That sounds like a really exciting thing to do and and you said that that people will be able to construct their own mini teepees yes so very tactile experience once you see the teepee and and hear about it being constructed you can then build your own mini teepee with similar supplies something that you can take home from your visit to the interior science center oh so it comes with its own souvenir i love it exactly <laughs> That's great. Do you happen to know what the material might be that people will be using when they build their own? I believe it'll be a paper cup and some sticks and some fabric. Uh, other supplies will be a surprise. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Victoria. And as always, so much to see and do at the Ontario Science Center. Well, thanks so much for having me. This is great. Thank you. That was Victoria G, researcher programmer at the Ontario Science Centre, telling us about the exciting March break they have in store for one and all. We are always excited to have these monthly Science Centre features on the show, so um, I'm excited for them. Let's get to the round table after the break. We're going to be checking in with Catherine Vatcher. She's our guest for today. We'll be right back. This is Kelly and Ramia. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya. And as I've said, it's a Thursday, which means we get into a roundtable conversation. I'm here and Danielle McLaughlin is here to help me co-host the show. But let's get into the weekly roundtable. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually oval. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now. Goes, <laughs> well, I, don't know. Well, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. This is an open conversation on a variety of subjects handpicked by the host, which is me today, as Kelly's not here, and friend of the show and dedicated listener as well, Catherine Vatcher is here to help us go around the roundtable. Catherine, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you on this roundtable, and um, it's so nice to have a roundtable full of women this week. I just want to shout that out, too. <laughs> so, so let's get into it, because I want to hear what you have to say about some of these subjects. After receiving news that her daughter would not be receiving funding from Ontario's autism program, Marie Lee decided to move her family to Alberta. Lee says after speaking with several programming representatives, she would be approved for funding in just 90 days. And in fact, she says she's already been approved for autism-specific childcare in Calgary. We're already approved for daycare down there. We have daycare coverage. I had the doctor here um, fill out all of the medical documentation that they needed. Um, which allows her to get all of those supports. So she will have all the coverage in daycare, and it's already been approved, and I'm not even there yet. So in Ontario, um, sorry, just catching my notes here. In Ontario, several parents are already struggling to secure funding for necessary programs for their children with disabilities, and some people have been on the wait list for literally years. Ontario, get this, promised to enroll 8,000 children into their Ontario, uh, autism support program by 2022, which was last year, okay, 8,000, but they only reached just over 10% of that target, which is ridiculous to me. I mean, 10%. So, Danielle, first of all, what do you say to that? What's your response to, and I'm sure you've been following it to some degree part of this story, but uh, there's been years of leading up to this friction, this struggle, this uh, conversation with so many people weighing in, parents and children and educators and support uh, people to this conversation around children with autism getting the support that they need and the funding around this. What say you? Uh, I it's so disappointing, Romeo. I mean, if you look and I can't help but get political with this, if you look at the fact that Ontario underspent in education and health care by millions and millions of dollars, it's no surprise that people ended up waiting for care that they never actually got, mm -hmm. that they were eligible for, that they had been promised. And, you know, it to, to me, we live in one of the richest places in the world, actually, and it, and this province, Ontario, is one of the richest provinces, and that somebody had to leave the province in order to get care for their child that they absolutely needed to have, it, it's it's worse than disappointing. It's it's shameful. Um, you know, I all I can say is you know that the people who advocate are are doing the very best they can. Um, we need to keep this story, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the front burner. We right. need 
more and more people to know what is happening and keep putting pressure on our governments to do what they say they're going to do. I, you know, it's all very well to make promises, but if you don't keep them, what good is that? I mean, to hear the numbers, right, and say oh, this 10%. many people. Yeah, exactly. And and to think, as you mentioned, that people were waiting, not uh, taking their lives elsewhere, as this person, Marie Lee, did, but waiting for the care to come about and dealing with all kinds of compromised situations on the daily until... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, just uh, we can't do that, right? So, well, Catherine... and the thing is mm-hmm. that this uh, this care is 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 time sensitive. You know, yes, uh, you can't is. wait till you're 35 to get programming that you needed as a child. It's of course not, not going to happen. Right? Of course yeah. not. And to think what kinds of sacrifices people make—the caregivers, the parents, the children themselves—to right. try to deal with their life in the meantime, and the lack of response to this. Catherine, I want to ask you because you have decades of experience working with people with disabilities in your field, uh, persons in vulnerable sectors, and I, I believe adults and children. If you can correct me, but also in more than one province because Ontario is not where you were, uh, where you grew up. So, how do you respond to? kind of the runaround um, that the government or programs or just all of this entails sometimes. And for you as a a person who's working in the field, how does it feel for you? It's it's exhausting for us because we're we're they're advocates for these people. And it's like we're talking to the wall and nobody wants to hear us. But they're saying all the right things but they're not doing what they're saying. So it's hard. And then you try to help people to give them the best life that they, that they deserve. Like we all deserve and we come up, up empty. And it's, it's very exhausting for us as a parent, as a caregiver, as someone working in the field, it's exhausting and hard. And specifically as a person who works in the field, because I've heard this from another friend who's a PSW, specifically working with people, uh, children who have autism, is you know that this care is necessary and you need to get paid as a person who's, you know, uh, specifically able to provide that care. But who's going to pay you if the programs are not made available and if the family can't, can't afford the care? Right, so all these resources and all these it's, holes. It's, yeah. There's it's, so it's, much wastage happening. Yeah. There's so many things that money is being spent on, is unnecessary, and we have so much that is necessary to spend the money on, and it's just being neglected and shoved under the carpet. It's 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 very frustrating and sad and, and terrible. And for this parent to have to go to Alberta to find mm. better services for a child, it's not okay. It's unacceptable. It should never happen. It should be, it should be the same across the entire country. Like it's terrible. Yeah. Well, that's you. You know, you've made a really important point there, Catherine. I think that you know, if we if we had you know a, f- a federal regulation that said this is yes. what people with with disabilities should expect that it will be provided full stop um you know maybe more of the provinces would you know they they would toe the line they would they would come up to the mark so you know i i think that that this is a piece of advocacy we need 
I just want to ask Definitely. one question before wrapping this up, and it's how deep are we in it? Like when we think, you know, there's there's more than uh, one kind of angle or way to look at this, but when we think only 10% of a promise or guarantee by the government was reached when it was supposed to be reached, and I, I start to wonder, you know, are we are we dug too deep in a hole that we can't come out of? You know, have we prioritized too much for too long? And of course, we have to mention the pandemic and other things that funding had to go towards. But are we at a point where we say, like, is this lost? You know, how many more people have to move out of Ontario, which is such a highly populated uh, province, uh, with so many people who need the support to be able to get it? Danielle? Well... I really hope that, you know, it's it's a matter, in my view, of, of political will. Um, you know, I, I think mm. that uh, we shouldn't give up. Mm. I, th I think that as people who, who live in this province, and in fact, people who live in Canada, it's, it's up to us to say, you don't get to ignore us. You don't get to say, oh, well, you know, we did the best we could, but we couldn't do anything for you. Uh, that's not okay. It's not good enough. And we need to make, make noise, you know, yes. stand out in front you know, call your 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 member of provincial parliament. They're rep the you know it's the provinces responsible for for healthcare, um, you know, and education, and make sure that they know repeatedly what you think and that you're not going to stop complaining about it until it's fixed. Mm -hmm. There you go. Many know your rights. I mean, with Danielle McLaughlin. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the second thing that I um, picked up. Artifacts belonging to the 19th century Plains Cree chief, who's known as a peacekeeper, are expected to be returned to his descendants as part of a repatriation ceremony at the Royal Ontario Museum. The Toronto-based museum is transferring a pipe and a saddlebag that belonged to Chief Poundmaker back to members of his family. A number of the leader's belongings were taken and housed in museums after the Northwest Rebellion in 1885, the same year Poundmaker was found guilty of treason. Pauline Poundmaker, or Brown Bear Woman, has been leading efforts to repatriate her great-great-grandfather's belongings and sacred objects from collections held in Canada and internationally. She says the growing movement of institutions repatriating items shows there is a willingness to address previous harms against Indigenous peoples. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press, Toronto. There's so much to take away just from listening to this story and what it means to the people involved. So I want to just go around the table and get that impact, first of all. Uh, Catherine, what about this sticks with you or that you can lean into that makes um, the story important? Well, it's something that belonged to the heritage of the family. Like, it, it's, it's so, I don't know, it just hits me like really deep that you can just go in and take whatever you felt like and, you know, stick it somewhere where it doesn't belong. And who knows whatever else has been removed. I just was reading about uh, a totem pole that's being brought back in, I think, British Columbia. Mm -hmm. There's so many things out there that were taken from them. And it, it's, it's, it's very hard. Especially to think we're just scratching the surface and how long after. Definitely. Right? Like we're just, you know, centuries Definitely. later and, saying. And what if, what if. Go ahead. 
Yes. And what if the bodies were not found of those children at those uh, those schools? Would it would it come to sh- like would it come to light? Like exactly. would we be hearing these things now that things would be brought back to their families, or is it because the big secret is being uncovered? And how how deep is this big secret? And how deep is this wound? And we need to we need to make amends. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but we need to try. Mm-hmm. We need to try to do the wrongs that were done to them. Yeah. It's interesting because there are moments in history, and we can think of whatever you know we know about, that have spun into big movements of advocacy, of change, of uh, mm-hmm. just like historical challenges. And communities everywhere have experienced times like this, right? And with the, the um, Aboriginal peoples of Canada and all the different communities here, we have, as you mentioned, Catherine, one of these moments being the unmarked graves and the finding, the discoveries of those. But there are many of those moments alone. So I think, you know, the creating of art and the returning of possessions and the healing of individuals, families, communities, it's just, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where uh, there's so much to go back into, let alone so much to change moving forward and unlearn moving forward. So, Danielle, how do you connect or empathize with these circumstances on a, a personal level, on an individual level? Well, it, it, it really strikes me that we're beginning to notice what white supremacy looks like. And I think that what we mm. have seen is this kind of noblesse oblige attitude from museums that say, oh, you know, you indigenous people or you fill in the blank, whatever people, um, you don't know how to take care of these artifacts. So we're going to do it for you. Um, And oh, that belonged to your family? Too bad because, you know, you you can't care for it well enough. And besides, don't you want to share it with the rest of the world and make sure everybody can see these lovely artifacts that belong to your great, great, great grandparents? Um, you know, you take a look at the the Greek marbles that are at the British Museum, right. and Greece is saying time to return those marbles. Um, if you look at the artworks that were looted from Jewish families by the Nazis, um, slowly but surely, yeah. these yeah. things are going back to the people or to the families of the people who owned them or who created them, because they're saying, wait a minute, you people are still here, aren't you? You're, mm-hmm. You you aren't just an historical, you know, part of a story. You're real people living in real time, and those grave sites, as you mentioned, Catherine, those are extremely important. Those are part of somebody's family and somebody's history. As are the artifacts, the artworks, the the marbles. Um, you know, let's talk about the people who are here now and how these things represent something very significant to them. Yes. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's always so much to unpack here. I um, want to get to something real quick. The co-founder of Divers for Cleaner Lakes and Oceans says he came across a crab native to Atlantic waters during a dive in the uh, Vancouver Inlet last Friday. This is my new craziest thing, right? <laughs> I love this. This is awesome. I'm sure something else will pop up eventually. I go, okay, this is my, my favorite find so far, right? Because they keep finding things. 
So Henry huh. Wang, who is who you heard in that clip, says uh, he immediately knew that the animal was a horseshoe crab and that it was not supposed to be in the Pacific. But Michael Hart, a professor of biological sciences at Simon Fraser University, doesn't believe the crab was alive, uh, and he thinks it was likely a discarded uh, decoration or an aquarium pet that was dumped in the creek. This is really fascinating to me. Catherine, you found a turtle on the street that you saved one uh, time that you told me about. What are you feeling about this and even just the controversy around what it is? Uh, well, you know, people, they get things and, oh, well, I'm tired of having it now. I don't want to take care of it no more. So they just dump it in our waterways. And we have mm. so many unknown uh, species that are not you know, that's not their habitat. And they're, there's a reason they have their habitat in a specific area because then it helps. It, it, um, it just has problems to create. It'll create problems for the habitat that it's in, the environment. People need to be more diligent in what they, what they own and wh how they, I don't know, not get rid of it, but put it where it needs to be. You know, you just can't have a goldfish and just throw it into Lake Ontario and say, oh, well, see you later. I don't want you no more. And then we'll Flush have it down your toilet, right? Like, <laughs> and and that, that's what I mean. And how that's many sweet. of us do these things? Yeah. The fact that, you know, one person is saying, oh, no, this is absolutely one thing. And another person is saying, no, this is absolutely not. Just makes me wonder for myself, you know, how much do we, are we aware of what we toss them. And that's from, you know, detergent to oils to, like you said, goldfish. Oh, totally. And horseshoe crabs. Totally. <laughs> horseshoe crabs. Yeah, horseshoe crabs. Like, absolutely okay. unacceptable. Oh, man, I, I really um, enjoy kind of taking the bigger picture things and bringing it down to a personal level. So I appreciate both of you indulging me on this roundtable. Thank you so much, Catherine. Oh, you're very welcome. She will be back because she loves coming on the roundtable, I hear. Danielle, thank you, too. And we will take a thank break you. now. We're going to come back, wrap up this show, find out what's coming up on the Friday edition of Now with Dave Brown, and reflect a little on our conversations from today. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Danielle McLaughlin and Ramia Amadhan here wrapping up Kelly and Ramia for you. And I, I have to say, Danielle, you got to finish your thought because we got cut off right at the end of a break while you were describing whether a horseshoe crab has movement when it's alive. And I was comparing it to, you know, stingrays and mm, Yeah, they're pretty slow. I mean, if, if you are, for example, on Long Island, you can see quite a few of them. Uh, mostly you see them in the water where they, they the movement is caused by the water. Yes. But they will, they're pretty slow. I mean... They, but they've been around since prehistoric times. You can even find um, fossil uh, horseshoe crabs. I love them because they're so weird. <laughs> and you think, what is that thing? And it looks like... You swam uh, it, with it one. Like, yeah, I did. I, not around. on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> the, that, that particular horseshoe crab and I got tossed by the same wave. But yes, uh, uh -huh. there, I, it was, I like that story. Thank you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The roundtable is such a good time, and we get into such deep conversations uh, and controversies, you know? So it was really interesting having you and Catherine on. Can you tell our listeners something you would point to from today's show that they can check out on our podcast platform? Absolutely. I loved listening to Grant Hardy today, and the items that he brought on were fascinating. 
I, I was particularly enthralled by hearing about hiccups and that somebody has <laughs> created a device that, that he says cures hiccups. I try it, of course. And is it again, hiccaway? Hiccaway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, you know, you just sort of keep it in your back pocket just in case, right? <laughs> for you that's... or for somebody else. Yes, hiccup exactly. saving. Wow. Oh, Grant's terrific. <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing conversation. Mary Mamaliti, we left so much on the on the table, but she shared, uh, you know, tips to upgrade your game in the kitchen from boiling water, caramelizing our um, tomato paste, and sharpen, keeping our knives sharper longer. So just lovely conversations always with Mary Mamaliti. Check out kitchenconfession.com for more of her discussions and recipes, and we'll talk dish with Mary next time, I promise. Now let's find out what's coming up on the Friday edition of Now with Dave Brown. Host Alex Smythe this week is running the show, and Paul Daniels, one of the producers, he's here to give us a preview. Hey, Paul. Hey, Ramya. On tomorrow's show, uh, the Friday news panel convenes as Joey Gupta from The Pulse, journalist Michelle McQuig, joined Alex to discuss some of the big issues of the week, including the story about Canada's Canadian Security Intelligence Service's discovery of an organized Chinese government uh, effort to interfere in Canada's elections in 2021. Uh, the panel will examine whether, why China would want to do this and uh, what they hope to gain from it. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely will reflect on the Spike Lee movie, Do the Right Thing, and this is Freedom to Read Week, and Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access will give us her few selections with titles, all of whom at one time have been banned sometime in Canada. I'm so glad the conversation is being covered uh, with our friends from Sila and Karen McKay. Appreciate it, Paul. Thank you. Take care. Paul Daniel, one of the producers on Now with Dave Brown, and you can catch that show 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Alex is doing a fantastic job hosting this week in Dave's absence, and look at that. It looks like all the main hosts are absent this week. Just saying. It's a pattern. Is that a conspiracy there? I don't Carmen? know. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out of roundtable, anything's a conspiracy. Right. <laughs> Danielle, it's uh, been fun hosting with you, and you're going to stick around tomorrow to wrap up the week, kick open the gateway into our weekend, and here are some of the discussions we're having. Fern Lullum, as I said, is joining us on a Friday, and we're talking something a bit more serious, low employment rates for people with disabilities in the U.K., Ryan Huey, though, has a treat for us. Author, narrator, duo of the book, Please Report Your Bug Here, are joining us. It's going to be super fun. One of many conversations to come with authors and narrators on the show. Danielle, thank you. We'll catch you tomorrow. Thank you. Have a lovely evening. You too. And I'm Ramia Amadin. We're signing off today. Thank you for spending your precious time with us. And join us again tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern time, for more of Kelly and Ramia. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.